The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Discretion is advised. Episode 119 of Rare Form Radio. I'm basically by myself today. Darren is busy um, handling some life things. Heidi is in New York. So today it's just me, all by my lonesome, with my guest. And um, my guest is a very interesting gentleman. Um, I'm going to let him explain how we know each other. But since it's October and we're doing kind of like a Halloween-ish themed month, I'm trying to keep it kind of horror fun related. So my guest today, his name is uh, Chase Anderson, and he kind of, I'm going to let him explain better, but he sort of oversees the Texas Chainsaw Massacre licensing side of uh, merchandising and, and archives and all kinds of fun stuff. I think that's right, but let's bring him on. Um, Chase Anderson. How are you, buddy? Hey. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks. How you been? I've been good. Thanks good. for having me on the show. I'm Likewise. Glad to be here. Thanks uh, for being here. We finally made it happen. I know we've been trying for, I feel like, uh, a few months to make this happen. Yeah, it's been a while. And then like we were close in August, September. At that point, it was like, Let's just do October. Yeah. You know, it yeah, makes make sense. Yeah, count when, when it's spooky season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I gave you an intro. Right. How close is that to what you really do? It's it's pretty close. It's it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what my day-to-day is, mm-hmm. but essentially I run the day-to-day operations of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre brand and uh, everything from product development to not licensing so much. That's another arm of our of our business, but I do I do send over the approvals for... Anything that comes through to be licensed or, mm-hmm. you know, anything from Universal Studios to any kind of T-shirts that want to be made to I do graphic design, I, mean, I do video on. editing, Dude. social media, yeah. you know, you know, you name it, um, I, I, I kind of do it. I wear many different hats. And then on top of that, I also own the Texas Chainsaw Museum, which is the world's largest private collection of memorabilia from the 1974 film. I mean, come on. I do a few things. When when did you start that? Because that, that's that's how you and I first connected was uh, due to uh, Texas Chainsaw memorabilia, right? Yeah, yeah. I, for, I forget exactly how we I connected. Yeah. I, I, I would just off the top of my head, I'd say maybe it was social media, but it came Has to, to been. Can we talk about the item? Of in, course. In your collection? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. It was, so, so for those of you that don't know, Dan owns the door to the Black Maria truck. Which was in the ending of the film when Leatherface chases Sally out of the house. Mm-hmm. The big rig truck, the cattle truck driven by Ed Gwynn, pulls yep. up. She hops inside. They close the door. Leatherface tries to chainsaw his way in, right? He's a big, dumb dog, so he doesn't know the difference between wood or steel. He tries no to idea. Make, he tries to make the chainsaw go through the door, and it doesn't, but it leaves all these cool marks. Yeah. And that was actually a prop door that they used for the big rig, so it didn't ruin the real door. So and it's a piece of steel that they kind of attached to the outside of the door. Right, yep. right. Yep. And so you own that, Yeah. and we figured out that you own it, and then we started talking because of all the stuff that I have in my collection. Mm-hmm. And in December of 2019, I had an exhibit at Lethal Amounts. It was that long ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. we had a year off of lo- of, yeah. from life, of no, course. No, no, The pandemic threw everybody's timeline off. I don't even know where I'm at half the time. Um, You're safe now. I am. I feel safe. Good, good. I do feel safe. Um, but that's how we kind of really connected outside of just chit-chat back and forth was you were kind enough to loan us your door to display at the exhibit for the for the Texas Chainsaw Museum. 
um, over there in LA. And then that was an honor, by the way. And it was, it was so cool to be a part of it. And I didn't know what to expect until I brought it to you that day. And there was so much cool shit in there. Like, um, um, unreleased photographs and, um, um, pieces of the set and artwork and the, the, what were those cassettes that you had? There was like a cassettes, like a audio cassettes in there. Was that audio cassettes? Maybe not. That's not ringing a bell. Hmm, okay. I, someone might've been walking around with something, but um, was most of the stuff on that display yours or was, was stuff donated from a bunch of people or what? No, that was all mine. The only, amazing. The only part that was on loan was uh, from you. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. All that stuff lives with me. Amazing. In various stages of storage. And when did you start collecting? Oh, let me start first. Why Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I mean, have you seen the movie? A couple times. A couple times. It was one of those things that set it apart from all the other horror movies out there because it could happen. Yeah. It was grounded in reality. There's nothing supernatural about any of the characters. The way it was filmed puts you in the role of a participant versus an observer. Oh, interesting. Right? Yep. So they use a lot of organic close-up camera angles, uh, first-person point of view, and that really puts you as a spectator in the driver's seat. So you're not just watching it. It's actually happening to you. Mm. And so that's something for me, and I'm sure for many others, that was a very visceral experience. It was something that was very surreal and cerebral because it really grabs you by the spine from the from the get-go mm -hmm. with the flashbulb stingers and the images of the drippy corpse at I the mean. beginning. And you just know that you're in for something that you've never seen before. Even if the first time that you saw it was in the 80s. I can't imagine what it would have been like for somebody... 1974 that saw that for the first time. I mean, that's just a face melter. Absolutely. So I mean, it was one of those things that just, you know, it, it was a moment of crystallization in, in my growth. Sound. Yeah. yeah. That flashbulb stinger is just yep. all time. The best. Yeah. The best. Um, it was just one of those things that really, really took hold and, and made a, an impact on me. Like I said, because it could happen in real life. There's nothing supernatural about those people. And to think that human beings could degenerate to the point to where, you know, they're doing stuff like what Ed, Ed Gein did and they're wearing other people's skin and they're they're kind of straddling that line between what's acceptable in society if, the, you know, you're the role of the cook where you're the proprietor of the gas station. But at the same time, you're beating a girl in a bag with a stick because you're going to take her home for dinner, cook her up and eat her. Mm -hmm. and, and there's so many, uh, so many of the characters in the film of, you know, the bad guys are sadistic. But then when you think about Leatherface, he's not really sadistic. He's a protector. He's uh yeah. He's just if you look at him, uh, if you study it, he's terrified for most of the movie. Like he's just like, what what are these people doing in my house? Yep. Got to get where are they going? Where are they coming from? What's going on? I got to get them out of here. Yeah. Uh, and it is like a, you called him a big dumb dog, and it's like a he's like a pit bull protecting his house. Yeah, he's an animal basically. Yeah. He doesn't have any kind of sensibility. He doesn't really have the ability to reason. He just acts on base instinct, mm -hmm. and that is the protection of his house and and his family. So. You know, when you when you couple that with the fact that he wears the faces of his victims, I don't know. There's something about that that really got under my skin and gave me the heebie-jeebies. And it still does to this day, along with the way that it was filmed. And, you know, it was shot in 16 millimeter, blown up to 35. So it has that almost snuff film look to it. I mean, everyone makes the point that like the when you watch it, it feels like you're watching a documentary. Yeah. Because there's no, there's not really, a, there's a score, but it's not like traditional songs. It's, there's no traditional instruments. No. It's, uh, you know, farmyard tools with uh, violin bows and all weird rubbing, vibrating, rusty. 
I've always, I've always said that that's one of the things that they've never been able to get right with the other movies is that there's no, there's no formal orchestral score. Yeah. Right. It's just a bunch of gongs and banging around. And I mean, if you think about it, maybe that's kind of the music that those knuckleheads would play if they were to gather around the campfire. Hillbilly kind of shit. Yeah. Just super far out off the grid, you know, living in isolation, not taking the trash out, but like collecting trash. Mm -hmm. Right. It's almost like like a hoarding type situation, except it's with people and bones and the remains of your victim. Very good call. There's, yeah. There's so many different aspects. I mean, we could probably have a whole show on just the film itself and why it impacts people the way that it does, because there's so many things that went into it. It's, it's lightning in a bottle, you know, it's the ragtag group of filmmakers in Austin, fresh out of school with something to prove. And they just take it to the, to the most extreme nth degree that they possibly can. And yeah. luckily for us, this was, this was the result. They, they definitely captured uh, magic and it's something that, you just, they could never recreate if they tried. No, just no. This, uh, all, the, all the the circumstances filming in Texas in what, July, August, whatever they were yeah, filming summer in. summer 1973. I mean, miserable. You, you feel the way that it was shot. You feel the heat. You feel the sweat. You feel the rust. That color palette is almost a character in itself. Same way that the house mm -hmm. and the charnel house, right? The bone room and everything. That's that's a character. It's not, it's Every not just aspect. set. Yep. There's, there's much more to it. So on, you know, the conscious level, people don't think about that stuff, but if you really take the time and try to pick it apart, there's, there's many, many layers that contribute to why it's such an impactful film. It's not just because it was, you know, some people say it was transgressive for its time, which is for sure it was transgressive, but there's a lot more to it. Than mm -hmm. There's a lot more layers to peel back. And like I said, we could, <laughs> how much time you got? Well, we got, we got as much time as we can <laughs> possibly take. Um, and, and one thing that also makes the movie effective to me is, uh, the kids in it. Um, they're, it's so relatable, and uh, besides Franklin, I know Franklin annoys people, but you still, they were genius because they make him annoying, but he's also in a wheelchair, so you sympathize for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, all five of the kids in it, it's five of them, right? There's five of yeah. them. They feel real, and it bothers you when they go. Like, you actually, you kind of care. In most horror movies now, that's something I hate about modern horror, is that they make characters that you just want to see get killed. But that gives you no emotional reaction really. Right. I mean, it's fun and you laugh it off or whatever, but right. it's so much more effective when someone dies, when you're like, I like that person. Yeah. Or like they just seem nice. Just having a good time. No character building. You want to be able to identify with the victim because that way, when they, when they get into a precarious situation, like going into somebody's house in the middle of nowhere, you feel the same kind of tension that they yeah. feel right. Your palms get sweaty just from seeing what's happening on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, Franklin's super annoying, but he was designed that way. And putting him in a wheelchair, I mean, you're you're chainsawing a disabled person? And he's the first person to go, too. Frank, no, Franklin. Oh, you're right, you're right. No, he's no, not, he's not. No, Kirk yeah, was the first one. Right, that's right. But that was part of the, I mean. The my, reveal, you, when you first see Leatherface, it's Franklin. It, basically, Franklin's, Franklin's death, isn't it? When you first see No, when you first face. see Leatherface, it's Kirk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, played yeah, yeah. by Bill Vale. Of course, just, the, of course, with, the With door. the steel door. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um. But casting relative, I mean, casting unknown actors just further cements the reality of what you see taking place on screen. Very right, true. Right. You don't, you don't recognize him from anything. It's not Robert Downey Jr. playing his role, right? Or, right. You know, it's, it's not a, um, what's her name from uh, Rosemary's Baby? Um, oh my God, Mia Farrow. Yeah, it's not Mia Farrow playing a role in a horror movie. It's... Mm -hmm. You don't know who these people are. These right. are They're us. It's Kirk. It's yeah. Franklin. It's Pam. Mm -hmm. It's Sally. Yep. It's Alan. How old were you when you first saw the movie? Um, I think I was 13. And uh, it was a movie that wasn't going to be allowed to be played in the house because of the, the subject matter. So I waited till the folks were out and took a took a bike ride over to Blockbuster. And Oh, yeah, you did. 
Yeah, we watched it. I watched it, and uh, I didn't quite believe what I was seeing. And that for for a long time, that was kind of the end of it. I saw it when I was really young, and I didn't. It didn't really get under my skin until oh my God. a little bit later. I, I could not agree more. I can't believe you said that yeah. because like uh, it was a lot to process at that age. You know, I was into <laughs> horror. I I think I saw Nightmare on Elm Street when I was five. Like my mom was a big horror fan. Like she's the one that got that. me into horror. Okay. okay, I got another. That's funny. Okay, yeah, hold that. And uh, so I was in Nightmare on Elm Street. Friday the 13th, I got into all those, and then, um, you know, which are pretty flashy, high energy, kind of fast paced sometimes, Yeah. and then I went backwards, because, you know, I didn't think to start watching movies bef- that came out before I was born. I was born in 79, so like, Freddie and Jason were peak my childhood. Yeah. So when I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, maybe something like that, I worked back and I rented Texas Chainsaw, and I watched it. And I just wanted to see Leatherface. I didn't care about the rest of the story. So it didn't have an effect on me, just like you said. And then a few years later, I went back again and opened my mind up a little bit, took it in. I'm like, wait a minute. This movie is kind of perfect in almost every way. And then maybe 10 years ago, um, I wanted to make make my own short film. And I wanted it to feel real and everything. And I went back... And I remember Texas Chainsaw. I mean, I've seen it multiple times since, but I wanted to watch it from like a, a filmmaker's point of view. Right, from a critical to perspective. To study it. Yeah. And uh, then that's when I really realized this is a this is one of the all-time greats on so many levels. And it... Totally. At that point, it kind of leapfrogged towards the top of, of my favorite horror movies. Yeah. And it's um, it's a tough feat. Like I said, it couldn't be recreated if they tried. No, no. That's, that's one of the things that, you know, they... They try and they and they miss and they give it the old college go, but mm-hmm. it's not something that I, I don't know. I, I got two perspectives on it. One, you can't recreate it, but two, the blueprints right there. Right? Yeah, I know I, what you mean. I feel like you know if you take into consideration certain things outside of the studio system, mm-hmm. which is when this film was made, mm-hmm. and if you get something put together that doesn't involve a room full of suits, you might be able to get pretty close. Yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah, I, I think under the right conditions and circumstances, I, I think it could be recreated, but. You know, until that day happens, hopefully, you know, we can, we can make that happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was born in 78. Okay. And so I remember for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I was walking through my friend's living room. I was, you know, I think it's like five or six, 1985 when it first came out on, on tape and they were watching it. It was the middle of the day. And I walked in on the, uh, the scene where Tina's getting thrown around the room. Yep. That stuck with me. It's that stuck with me for a long time. And it, it kind of, I always been into like weird stuff. Like I always loved the uh, twilight zone marathon mm-hmm. and monsters and Adam's family. And I had all the universal monster toys, things of the Remco's that glow in the dark and stuff. I always just been kind of, I don't want to say like a weird kid, but just kind of, I was, I, I mean, was, that horror was my escape. I mean, I don't know. It's, you know, anymore these days you sound like you're, t- I feel like maybe people are tooting their own horns. Oh, I've been doing this forever. Where have you guys been? But Listen, I some just, people have been doing it forever. But some know? people have been doing yeah. it forever, right? Some some people, it's just like part of your DNA. So later on, you know, I started finding the uh, the horror movies and some of the more graphic stuff, Hellraiser, Friday the 13th, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. And then um, it wasn't until I revisited Texas Chainsaw years later, I was like, oh, wow. So same as like, like you, like, oh, whoa. Yeah, like the other ones, uh, they're great movies. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street is, I could also consider kind of a master class in horror filmmaking and general filmmaking. Absolutely. But uh, those movies, the, the the normal slasher movies, just have a different recipe. It's a different formula. 
um, totally different feel, but uh, Texas Chainsaw just it has that documentary. Um, I'm nervous. I don't know why I'm so nervous because, yeah. like you said, this could happen. Those other movies, Pinhead's not going to come to you and you know tear your dick off with chains. No, I hope not. Um, no, but I mean in the re- in the real world, none of that stuff could really take place, right? right? It's all Halloween could, I guess, technically it could, sort but of. It's all pretty fantastic, right? right? It's and not... he gets there's definitely supernatural elements to Michael Myers yeah. that that don't make sense. No, for sure. But I think the other element is, it, I think it's twofold. I think one because they promoted it as being a true story, even to the point where they included it in their opening crawl with that that uh, you know Lariquette, narration yeah. by John Larroquette that really that really sets the tone for the rest of the movie. But also, you know, some of it is based on the real life crimes of Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, maybe, you know, not maybe, but yeah, some of that stuff really did happen. Right. Yeah. The guy was, the guy was not playing with a full deck. <laughs> this is, that's a very nice way to put it. Yeah. No, yeah. Ed Gein was far out. Right. So he yeah. inspired psycho. He inspired Buffalo Bill from Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs. He inspired, uh, you know, Leatherface. But the but the fact that he was isolated in a farmhouse, just living in his own filth and wallowing in his skin creations and decorations. which included his mom. Did he wear his mom too? He didn't wear his mom. He, uh, I think he he dug her up. I think he did. He dug dig I her up. I think so. I don't know that he did. I don't think he did. I think what he did was he closed off her room. He closed off her room and he left he left her room as it was when she passed away. And the one thing that he held on to was her crucifix, which. I have had the pleasure of holding. No shit. Yeah, a buddy of mine who, uh, who's the the godfather of uh, true crime. Joe or what? What's his name? What's his name? Uh, no, Rick Staten. Okay, okay. That's his name. He okay. was he was John Wayne Gacy's uh, art dealer. Okay, okay. Um, I visited him a few years ago in Louisiana, and he has Augusta Gein's crucifix. That amazing. Yeah, Ed Gein gifted it to a pen pal that he had when he was in the uh, the sanitarium. And then uh, Rick acquired it from him, and you can see like on the uh, the Jesus that's on the crucifix, he's all worn down from where she would wring oh, her hands. Man. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, I got I got pictures of I got a bunch, I, I did a whole photo shoot with it because it was it had energy, man. It was super weird. Oh, I believe it. It was it was something really special, and I believe it. Yeah, he was kind enough to uh, to let me kind of. It, it's on weird to it. that <laughs> objects can uh, can can hold that kind of energy. Recently, a couple months ago, I was back east and um, visiting family, and someone I know closely was cleaning out a barn, and they found an old Nazi Air Force helmet, and Ooh. it was they don't don't know where the fuck it came from, but holding it, I, I felt super weird. Like yeah. there was there definitely like obviously bad energy felt <laughs> in that yucky, motherfucker. Yeah, a little huh? little little gross, yeah. little gross. But yeah. um, what else did you? Uh, handle at that guy's place besides the crucifix anything else anything uh, wild? no it was just the crucifix was the was the main thing he he's got stuff from all strata of, mm-hmm. of true crime uh thinning down his collection but you know he had a lot of uh john john wayne gacy paintings and things that were done custom for him mm-hmm. uh, he was a movie poster dealer for a long time so a lot of uh, 50s and 60s b movie posters and stuff like that but the the crucifix was uh that was a that's wild. That was a milestone. Yeah, yeah. I have a couple of friends who uh, had sex in in Ted Bundy's car. Oh wow! Yeah. All right, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that's some energy. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so where where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Huntington Beach. Born, oh, right here. Yeah, born and raised in Southern California. Okay, uh, my family's been here for four generations. L.A. Okay. No shit. Yeah, we've been. You here don't for find a while. that much. 
No, we've been around for a while. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for taking us all in to your uh, <laughs> beautiful Southern California home. I don't, I don't claim to own anything. We're just a part of it as cool. everybody else is. But yeah, we've been around for a while. So uh, so what was your first piece in your collection? Oh, wow. Um, there's two timelines. Uh, the original, when I first started collecting, was the McFarlane, like you have right yeah. there. Yep. Um, I found one of those. The Movie Maniacs? Yeah, the Movie right? Maniac. Yep. Yeah, I found one of those at a comic book shop in the package. Um, I paid like 50 bucks for it. And um, Don't you wish those were around when we were kids? Can you imagine? Oh, man. Can you imagine? Like, like, G.I. Joe's, be gone. Like, I would have been it would, all these guys. Oh, maybe, it's for, maybe it's for the best that it wasn't, because who knows what kind of turn my life would have taken. <laughs> you I was you playing, might have a point. <laughs> you know, if I was playing with psycho killers and maniacs when I'm 12 years old. Um, so I got one of those in the package, and I was like, man, this thing's really cool. I wish I could, like, I want to take it out, but I don't, I don't want it to lose its value. Not that it was worth very much, mm -hmm. but. It's always worth more when it's in, course. in the... Of course. collectors know that. Collectors know that. Yeah, when it's in the blister pack, it's always worth more. Well, I, some dude that I knew had one that was loose, and he gave it to me, and I was like, oh, man, this is really cool. I wish um, I wish there was more, right? Like, like He-Man had Castle of Grayskull. Ninja Turtles had, you know, their van in the sewer. and so, Police Academy had the firehouse yeah, or the, the police house. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Ghostbusters had Ecto-1, and, like, there was all kinds of different stuff to go with it. This was cool, but it's just him with his bucket of parts and the, and the movie poster yep. in the background. So I just started putting together dioramas. I started, I started putting together these little, you know, scenes of, like, the hook and the table with a little button that you would press that had a face on it that would light up and just... I made my own. That is amazing. Right? And... Long story short, things transpired in my life that took me on a different route than I had planned. Years later, um, I got back into collecting and, and kind of refocused my life. And I, I saw that Gunnar Hansen was having a signing appearance for his book that came out in 2013. That's the Chainsaw Confidential. The Chainsaw Confidential over at Dark Delicacies in Burbank. Gunnar Hansen, by the way, if you're he, he obviously he's the, he's the guy that played the original Leatherface. Yeah, yeah. Define the role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the original Leatherface showing up close to home. Go buy his book. Check it out. Something to do. And I went and um, I made sure to be the last person in line because I wanted to you talk know, a little bit. I wanted to talk Smart. a little bit. I wanted to talk a little bit. So I hung out, signed the book, and we ended up talking for like 20 minutes, took pictures. Dan Yeager was there, the guy who played Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw 3D, met him and his wife, yep. took some pictures. and um, He's a great man. No, he's a, he's super cool. He um, he actually came to a Halloween party we had one year dressed up as like a Frankenstein. And Amazing. It was, it was super cool. He's a great guy. We had him on, uh, I did a show with Dave Navarro for years. He came on that. And it was such a blast. Yeah, he's a cool guy. He brought some of the props from the, from the, uh, from the film he was in. Oh, cool. Like the newspaper clippings and... I think something else. Oh, very cool. cool. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that just kind of ignited um, this renewed interest in, um, you know, collecting it, it. It really sparked me to, to get excited. I had been doing um, Leatherface costumes at uh, the conventions just because I was into it and it was fun. And I, I mean, I'm not six, four, but I got the stature where I'm, you know, oh, yeah, you're, you're a big guy. I'm, I mean, I'm, it, I'm a big it works. guy. So I could yep. like, I could pull it off. Right. Yep. I don't look like skinny bone Jones trying to swing a plastic chainsaw around. <laughs> right. And that was the other thing, right? I had a, I had a, a actual pool in two, four five that would start up. So yeah. the horror conventions and movie premieres and stuff, people get stoked on that kind of thing. So I'd take that and do that. And, um, by the way, you still post a lot of videos of that on your Instagram, which is, uh, at, uh, Texas. Oh, go ahead. I have to look it up. It's at the official TCM museum. That's what it is. The official TCM museum is your Instagram. The official TCM museum. That's right. 
And you post videos. You go down to the house still, and you still scare scare the kids and stuff, right? Yeah, I still, yeah. you know, I don't have as much time as I used to, but when I get the chance, I still like to dress up and scare people and give them some memories. And I'm good friends with the owners and proprietors of the house over in Kingsland, Texas, uh, where the house was moved in 1998 mm-hmm. and turned into a restaurant. I've still never been there. I got to get down there. Yeah, it's good. It's it's a cool place. The people that own it are super nice. The food's really good. Um, it's, it's, it's its own little pocket in the, uh, Texas Hill country up there over by uh, Lake LBJ. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's nice. And they don't, they don't actively promote it, but they do accept it. It's they a, have to, well, they'd I mean, be silly a, not to. It's a different crowd that goes there to, to, um, to eat right at the restaurant. It's not, I was going to ask you is, is most of the crowd not fan people? No, most of the crowd is local, Locals. local Texans from, from Kingsland and the surrounding areas. So, okay. They're, they're pretty, I mean, they're just regular folk, right? right. It's, it's not even like LA. It's, it, I don't know if you've ever been to Texas or anything. Oh, many times on tour. Right. I've been there uh, um, 20 times. So just, yep. I mean, they're just normal people. Yep. And, but they do get a fair amount of tourists that come through and they acknowledge it and they have, they have some stuff set up. Um, one of the guys that's part owner owns the club car bar. His name's Brad Jones. And um, he has some memorabilia set up for you know pictures i recently helped him get the uh jemmy six foot animatronic so that people have something to take oh a that's picture cool with. yep yeah and you know you just got photos from the film and to sell some t-shirts and shot glasses and i think they have like a themed margarita like i think it's led the faces bloody massacre or something it so sounds like they do it perfectly where they do. They like we are a restaurant and we also have this little thing yes. for you guys so they don't discourage it but at the same time they don't encourage it mm-hmm. and from time to time they'll host events because i mean you can't deny the history that's attached to that property so it's uh, as far as uh, if you think about homes, famous homes in film history, horror history, it's in the top five. Oh, for sure. You know, Psycho House probably number one. I would think. I mean, yeah, it's it's up there for sure. I mean, it's a, it's iconic. Yeah, so I do still go do all that kinds of stuff. Um, I go to Texas pretty regular just for work, but also to hang out just because I like it there. And uh, you know, if there's movie events and stuff like that, and I got some free time, I'll throw on the mask and rev up the chainsaw. And- it's a thrill, isn't it? You know what it is more than anything is I feel like it builds a sense of community. Um, I've had more than on one occasion people write me and say, hey, this was the first time that I took my 10-year-old to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the drive-in. And his first experience was running into Leatherface, waving a roaring chainsaw, and he'll never forget that as long as he lives, and neither will I. You've given us a lifetime of memories in one night. I can't thank you enough. Goosebumps again. Yeah, yeah. So that's really the reason that I do it because I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. I mean, it sounds silly, but like that actually is very beautiful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for 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 building memories with family and stuff over something like that. Like it, it's 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 scary and it's like a, based on a movie, but it's like a real nice memory. You know yeah, what I mean? it's beautiful. Yeah. No, th- and that's yeah. what I you know even at the even at the conventions, there's you know little kids come up to me and. Yeah, I'll scare them and I'll see that they get super scared. But then afterwards, you know, I'll come down to eye level and and shake their hand and let them know, like, you don't have to be afraid. Cool. It's, it's super fun. So I like to provide that for people because that that's what I like. When I go to the theme parks, I, I like to go and do stuff and create memories. For me, the stuff is peripheral. It's all about the experience. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Did you notice, like, because um, you, you, you dress up sometimes. Um, when I, maybe, was it eight, eight, nine years ago, I've been working for Jane's Addiction as a guitar tech for uh, f- 14 something years. And there was a whole tour I did 
where I dressed as Leatherface as a guitar tech. Oh, cool. Did I ever show you that picture? No, I've never seen that. Oh, let me show you this picture. So I was Dave Navarro's guitar tech. That's awesome. But I was in full regalia. <laughs> and I want to ask you a question about it. Let me find this real quick. Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> so that's Dave and I on the side of the stage. Oh, rad. So I would go out and do guitar changes <laughs> and everything wearing that. And did it a couple times in Texas. And it was a thrill. But I noticed like, and I've heard other actors who have played these roles say it. When you put the mask on, you do feel like a different person. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking? Do you feel that way? No, absolutely. Because you're 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 playing a role, but you're no longer you're no longer you. No. And I can see how people can get lost in those kind of roles and how fun it could be absolutely. to be a villain in a movie. Yeah. Like when you look at like Joaquin Phoenix in the Joker, and when you see someone become something, so much of it is just changing your appearance. Yeah. You know, um, Michael Myers. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, look at this. The mask, it's like, it's, it's spooky, whatever, but it changes who you are inside. Absolutely. It does. It, it's, it's very freeing. Um, you know, I've seen the movie God knows however many times. So aside from just putting on the mask, I try to, depending on what mask I wear, I try to adopt the same gait, the same walk, the same mannerisms, mm -hmm. the same type of energy that he had when he was in that role in the film. Um, you do I, a great job. And I, I mean it sincerely because no, I, I know what to look for. I know there's, there's certain, there's you a know, little depending bit on of, which leg is hurting. You yeah, know, I, there's, there's, there's a little a, bit of a hunchback that goes into it. There's a little bit of, a, of uncertainty because, like I said, he's a big, dumb animal. Yeah. Um, so I take all that into consideration when I put the mask on so that I can give people the experience. But also I feel like I become that character. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not... I'm not Chase anymore. I feel like, I don't want to say like I'm my true self because that's pretty far out, but I feel like I've got it to a point where I can kind of slip in and out of it on command. And I mean, it's funny, like nowadays my wife, will she'll she'll see pictures and she can't even tell sometimes out in, out in the wild. She'll be like, was that you or is that is that from the movie? You know what's funny? I look for the hands. The I hand? look for the yeah, tattoos. Yeah. No, that, the that's the one <laughs> thing that bums me out about Halloween is that I have, you know, the tattoos, you can't fully yeah. embrace the role. Do, it, do people call you Leather Chase at all? No, this is the first time. Bullshit. That's a good one. Bullshit. Leather Chase. Dude, when, you, when you're in the That's costume, now. Leather Shit. Chase. Hell yeah. You're kidding me. No, no one's ever said that? No. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thank you. If you get nothing else from this show... Leather Chase, it's trademark yours. that shit. Yeah, that's good. It's good. No. You might have to, you might just start a new Instagram page. Leather Chase, yeah. Chainsaw Chase is what my handle for a lot of different stuff. But that was your name in my phone before I knew your last name. It was the uh, Chainsaw Chase. Chainsaw Chase. Yep. Yeah, Leather Chase, dude. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. There you go. There yeah. you go. No, it is. It's a it's a total experience putting on the costume and and for people too because the people you know some in the early days before I was married, my wife she'd get upset because I'd have all these girls fawning all over me and putting their legs on me and getting touchy feely and they they don't understand that like i'm not really the masked killer like, right i'm just a dude i'm just a guy right with, a, with a wife like, what are those girls doing i'm like no no no, it's not me like it's like it's leatherface <laughs> it's totally different this is such a script for a movie like a guy becomes a cosplaying horror guy just to get a, a bunch of side chicks right? and everything cares about being a rock star with cosplay is some <laughs> that's weirdo. it dude that's it so yeah it, it definitely blurs the line between you know reality and and fantasy but like I said, the whole the whole reason I do it, and I think the whole reason people attend conventions and watch horror movies is to escape from reality, but also to, you know, have have those memories and and create new experiences. Hundred percent. At least that's why that's why I do. It. Maybe other people just want to get off on the gore and shit. I'm sure it's everything. Yeah, it's it probably is all rolled. Did up you watch one. the new Halloween movie? I did. Yeah, speaking of like gore and brutalness, like that's they definitely uh, focused very heavily on 
some crazy, cra- crazy ass kills. Yeah, yeah, they definitely got creative uh, with the kills. I feel sometimes at the uh, at the expense of the storyline. Thank you, thank you. Evil dies tonight. Get the fuck out of here. Did I say that out loud? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I liked the movie. I liked it, but it definitely felt like okay. This is just a bridge movie to the third one. You know what I mean? It did feel like a filler. Yep. Like filler. But which we all knew was coming, which I think is why they filled it with such great kills, actually. Pretty great kills, I thought. Yeah. No, yep. the kill, the kills were interesting, but it does kind of take away the suspense of, obviously, we know, Le- uh, not Leatherface, Michael Myers isn't going to die because there's another movie coming out. Right. Right? Right. So what do you do? You keep Michael Myers and, and uh, Laurie Strode separate for the whole movie so that when the rubber band snaps back in the next direction right. for part three... You have an explosive kind of reunion. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess, but at the same time, I don't know. I have a hard time with the, with dialogue and, and things that don't resonate in real life. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when you see, I don't know about you. I've never seen anybody getting murdered by Michael Myers, but if I did, I don't think I'd stand there in awe. No, like, no, no. I think I'd probably be screaming bloody murder. Yeah. And I see that a lot in horror movies where people are just at a loss for words. Like, I get when you're petrified and you can't do anything. Not everybody goes into shock. No, but not everybody goes into vapor lock, right? right I mean, right. there's, there's got to be, and then some, just some of the other shit today, like, like evil dies tonight. Really? Yeah. That, that was a tough one for me. Really? Like a lot of overacting in it. That's the best you got. Right. And like, you can say it once, but, uh, do better. We don't, have to, I don't want to spoil anything, but like the chanting and the mob stuff, it's like, all right. We get it. It's a Trump thing or whatever. Whatever we're doing here, I don't know what's going on. But you know, the, there was that uproar online. They uh, had that petition to have the scene removed where the firefighters get slaughtered in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I can suspend my disbelief. I can. I can get into. I can I'm get okay. into it. Right. I can it's, feel it. And actually, it was kind of that but was one of the more powerful parts of the movie. In a I way, I just felt like it was so disconnected from what we had seen in previous Halloween movies. I mean, this is one dude against eight firefighters that all have pickaxes. Are you referring to the fact that Michael became Steven Seagal all of a sudden? Dude, are you kidding me? I was waiting for him to do some kind of like cartwheely back kick Van Damme shit. For me right there, that that takes me out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm skeptical of everything else that I see. Yeah, understood. But... All right, enough Halloween. Enough. Um, Halloween, go see it. It's good. Yeah, film. it's so fucking good. And honestly, support horror movies anyway. Even... It's dumb to say, but like even support ones that aren't great support horror movies, you know, no, you otherwise they, and I don't mean, I don't mean to sound like an elitist or anything. Like I only like reserve. My we all time. have opinions, you know what I mean? No, for sure. But I like, I don't reserve my time only for the silence of the lambs films that are out there. You have to support everything. Cause otherwise the other movies aren't going to get made. You, just, 100%. you have to, you know, be tactful about it and try to find a happy medium so that you give something to everybody. Mm-hmm. That's a tricky dance. I've come to find out is, um, is your wife into horror movies? She is. That's yeah. great. Yeah. My would, wife is not. It would not work otherwise. See, my I've been married for, uh, what, 10, uh, 10 years, and she's not into horror, but we find a way to make it work. Really? Like, to me... Is that you watching the movie and her with a blanket over her head? Or? No, she doesn't get scared. Oh, okay. She's like... Oh, she's so too, she thinks she's it's tough. goofy? Yeah, dude. Dude. I um, in my, <laughs> my favorite horror movie of all time, and probably my top three movies of all time, is The Exorcist. That's my number one horror movie. Okay. And uh, it still freaks me out to this day. And I'm not someone, I don't really get scared Were by Were you raised stuff. Catholic? No, all, I mean, technically, yes. Irish Catholic family from Boston. Okay. But I never believed. I never. Okay. But like that movie, I saw it when I was, I don't know, probably around the same time I saw Texas Chainsaw, 12, 13. And it scared the fucking shit out of me because it, it feels real. It's not hokey. Yeah. And um, it's not even like a horror movie. It's almost like a drama film. I mean, it won Best Picture. Horror elements. Yeah, that doesn't happen unless there's, it has to be different than a horror. It has to be a yeah. lot of drama. Yeah. It's a family drama. It's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And um, 
so it's freaked me out forever. I asked her, my wife, for years to watch it. And she's like, no, I don't like those movies. They freak me out. for your birthday. I want you to watch this movie with me. That it's kind of, it was kind of one of those where like, if you do this, I'll do something for you or whatever. It's, <laughs> we're going to trade somehow. And uh, we're watching it. And she, when you watch a movie, she pays attention. She gets into the zone, but she was like chuckling. And I was getting pissed off. I'm like, why are you laughing? She goes, what, what part? Um, she laughed at the, at the let Jesus fuck you part. Okay. The crucifix. Yeah, yeah. Um, she laughed at whenever the voice would change you know, the, into the scary oh, voice. yeah, the Pazuzu. Yeah, exactly. She didn't giggle when, when she peed on the carpet? No, I don't think so. <laughs> my, my wife pees on the carpet all the time, so she probably related to that <laughs> part of it. She with that. Yeah. But uh, I was getting annoyed. I'm like, how can you? She goes, this is just so ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, but the visuals, you can't. And she just didn't. Hmm. She thought it was silly. Interesting. But she loved The Shining, so I don't know. Oh, wow. Who knows? That's, I'm, a, I'm, that's a weird... I'm trying to break her down to be more into them and understand that, like, it's not just all brutal blood murders, like, you know, um, women being attacked. There's some great stories in horror that are being told all the time. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I know the one thing that hooks me is uh, atmosphere, mood, and, and psychological yeah. elements. I think that's more terrifying than seeing Kevin Bacon get an arrow through his neck. I mean, 100%. Yep. On-screen gore is cool and all that has its place, but I think the thing that's truly terrifying and taps into the human experience is that fear of the unknown. And I think you create that with, you know, atmosphere, mood, framing, composition. Every horror movie to me that I love has to have, it, I call it the, uh, the this is God moment. You know, the, the Freddy reveal the this is God. Yeah. There has to be one still image from the film that sticks with me forever. It's the chainsaw door. It's the you no know, sliding the door. Chainsaw's it's the Freddy glove. Yep. Yeah. Um, um, Exorcist. It's you know the the backlit shadow of her on the bed. Oh, you know, yeah. stretching when she gets free. Yeah, with the statue. And in the uh, I gotta have that kind of stuff. And I always call it the uh, the this is God moment. That's good. That's yep. a good way to, to characterize that yep. because I need it. No, it's true. I mean, I feel like if you get good special effects and gore, that's just that should just that should be the icing on the cake. Yep. That shouldn't be the that shouldn't be the nexus of the film. The driving point. Yeah, it shouldn't mm -hmm. be the driving point of the film. It should be the 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 extra. It should be the cherry on top. Mm -hmm. So what was your first what was your first piece of memorabilia from the film? From the film? From the actual film. From the actual film was uh Jim Seedow's shooting script. Oh wow. Yeah. And how did that get into your hands? Um I had to uh tap into my amateur Jim Seedow who played the 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 cook. Right. Yeah, Jim Seedow. The father figure. Plays the cook. Um <clears throat> I I put on my detective hat and I had to refine my amateur detective skills to uh track down and communicate and be patient. Mm -hmm. and communicate and uh be patient. Yeah, it, it's a slow play. It's for a, a lot slow of this play. Stuff. Yeah, you have to be really careful, especially when you're dealing with uh, family members, especially family members who have family members who have passed. Right. Because at this point in time, Jim had passed almost ten years, mm -hmm. and you never know how anybody's going to take you cold calling them. Yeah, right? of course. Coming out of the blue, some knucklehead out of the woodwork is knocking on my door, wanting to buy my dead dad's stuff. Mm -hmm fuck out of here man right. i don't know you and know? there's multiple factors where like that maybe they want to keep it maybe they're weary or maybe they just don't want to dig through a box there's that's a that's a lot of it sometimes people the, don't want to put the work in to there find is, something there is a lot of that involved um and i just i happen to get lucky I, I like to i like to think that uh 
I have a way with people. I know how to talk to people because I know how I would want people to talk to me. So mm-hmm. I try to present myself as articulate and thoughtful as I possibly can. Um, I, by no means do I use kid gloves, but I am sensitive to the situation. You know, I just, I put myself in their shoes. Like if somebody came at me wanting to know about something, how would I approach myself? And so far it's worked out. So when you make the call, how does it start? Uh, it's not a call. Everything's digital. Everything's email. This one in particular, I I think it was through uh, Messenger. Okay. And it was a back and forth for a long time. Um, I explained who I was. I explained what I was interested in doing. Um, because at this point, I had built up a collection of other memorabilia, but this was the first thing that was actually tied directly to the film, right? So I had lobby cards. I had autographed photos. I had pretty substantial amount of stuff. Not as much as I have now because it's still in the early days, but I had enough to be able to say, hey, I'm trying to grow my collection. You know, I would love to add this to my collection because my driving force is the preservation yeah. of the history connected with the film. It's not... And that's why I've always actually appreciated what you're doing is because it, uh, it, it you are, it's, you're not this guy that just hoards it to look at it himself. Right. Like that's why when you have those, um, um, the showings, it's you're sharing it with people, which is what should happen. Like let people other, like you love it. Let other people love the stuff as well, which is also why I was so happy to give you the door because it just, it sits in my office. I appreciate it, but I want other people to look at it and be like, holy shit. Yeah. Not like, I don't want to feel cool that I have it. I want people to like, be like, I can't believe I'm looking at the actual thing. That's the fun. For sure. There, there are a lot of collectors that I've met for them. It's about who has the most toys and I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Right. And I think that's, I mean, whatever blows your hair back their own teach their own, I guess. But I think in the, in the bigger sense of it, I mean, I know if I'm excited about it, there's gotta be other people out there like me who would want to see and appreciate or learn about it that maybe they don't even know that this exists. Mm -hmm. Right. So be able to bring it to the light of day and be like, Hey, not look what I found, but Hey, look at this. This is a piece of history. And I mean, Texas chainsaws is as American as apple pie. So, you know, to be able to find that stuff and to be able to share it with people the same way that I feel like, you know, when I dress up as Leatherface, I can share that experience and, and give that to people. That's I try to give back to the community in that way because if there was somebody doing what I did and I wasn't me, I'd want to see it. Yeah. I'd want to know. Yeah. I would go to that exhibit. Mm-hmm. I'd pay five bucks. I'd pay 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. I'd buy the t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So if I can do that for other people, then I, I, I do. And I try to do it as much as I can. So I, exp- I explain that to people when, when I'm talking to them about, you know, if there's an item that I'm trying to acquire, buy, trade, sell, this is the purpose. This isn't about, oh, I'm, I, I have all the stuff. Right. I have more stuff than you. Right. Because I know people like that. Of course. Those people are fucking dicks. I collect game-used baseball bats, and I know so many of those guys that just, like, they just want to have everything and show it to nobody. Yeah. You know? What good is it? I mean, like, whatever blows your skirt up, I guess. Right, right. So, yeah, the script was the first thing that I got. From the film, tied directly to the film. It was the original, his original shooting script with yellow revision pages, um, red pencil notations next to his lines as the cook. Um, And then I was also fortunate enough, along with the script, um, I was gifted an 8x10 photo that Jim Seedow used to practice his signature. So it's this 8x10 photo of Jim Seedow with his beard from his theater days that's scribbled with all different color and, and sizes of oh, markers no shit. that he used to practice, on top of which, at some point, his wife decided she wanted to get in on it. So there's a couple uh, signatures for Ruth Seedow oh. on there as well. So, you know, the tagline is 
from part three is the Saw's family. Yeah. We try not to promote that because it's not from the original film, but I mean, there's, there's it, it's, 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 it's weirdly like, it's, it's very rare that something from a sequel becomes like the rally cry from the fan base, yeah. but the Saw's family definitely does that, doesn't it? it? It does. But, and it's funny, at least in my experience, I found it to be very true. Yeah. More often than not. Yep. So I get to know these people. They get to know me. Sometimes we carry on. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's the end of it, but there's definitely a sense of what I'm doing and what they're doing with or for me mm-hmm. is, is the right thing to do. And I imagine the more you do it, the more you display, the more people you talk to, then others who may be holding stuff will see what you're doing and be like, I like this guy's style. Here's this stuff. It, it's very true. It, it creates a type of magnetism mm-hmm. where things are now drawn to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been fortunate enough to where I've had things kind of not handed to me, but put in my lap where otherwise, if that was something that I had to find on my own, I'd have to, you know, put yep. that detective hat on and, yep. and go track it down, which in some cases I probably wouldn't even bother with. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been uh pretty, pretty exciting for, you learn a lot along the way. You learn about Texas Chainsaw. You learn about the people involved with it. There's just so many facets to the, to the whole situation. I don't even know what to call it. It's a lore. I yeah, mean, and, yeah. And it gets, uh... but also to my life because now it's so, it's so wrapped up into, you know, who I am as a person and, and, and what I do now. It's like, I, how do I separate the two? Right. What are you doing on the weekends? Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. What are you doing for work? That's like same shit. <laughs> has uh, has doing it for a work changed your love for it at all? No. In fact, it's 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 enhanced it. I thought it f- for a split second, and this is for a split second. I thought, do I want to see behind the curtain? Yeah. Fuck yeah, I want to yeah. see behind the curtain. Yeah. This isn't like going to work at Disneyland where you see the inner workings of the haunted mansion with the lights on. I've seen the lights on in the Texas Chainsaw Maze at Universal, and I just I want to go back as much now as I ever did. Right, right. To see the inner workings, uh, to get to know these people on a professional level outside of just being a fan is something that's very special. And like I, I, w- I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. This is I just I don't even work. I got responsibilities, but I don't work. It's pretty great, huh? I mean, so what is your day to day like for the new for the new uh, position that you have there? Oh, it varies. Um, it kind of depends what's going on in the Texas Chainsaw world, what what project is uh, on my plate at the time. Everything is more or less, well, how do I characterize it? Pretty easygoing. Um, I feel like I'm, I feel like I have the experience in the background so that I'm well equipped to do all the different jobs mm-hmm. that I need to do, uh, some more than others, some things I'm still learning, some things... I have dead bang. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more just about time time management, which I, ha- I have a pretty good grasp of. Uh, a lot of things are priority-based, based on release dates and, sure. and things of that nature and trying to lay the foundation for that. So, you know, one day I will... I, I try to split my week up into days. One day I'll work on doing uh, infringements and piracy takedowns, taking down counterfeiters. That's one I want to ask you about as well. Oh, yeah. What's we, that like? <laughs> um, it's interesting. It's... it's uh, it's a never ending battle of whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, Texas Chainsaw has been around for 45 plus years. Only recently has, has the, has anybody really taken singular ownership of it. And as a result, counterfeiters have just run wild. Yeah. And so overseas domestically, it's just, it's a never ending battle. Uh, we've recently, uh, been engaged with the company that helps us kind of pinpoint 
repeat offenders mm. and they have a, a proprietary AI that crawls the web and, oh, shit. and sends us the results. You can't go away with shit anymore. <laughs> no, but also, I mean, this is, it, it's like a dream for that type of job because otherwise we're out there pounding the pavement and you can, there's only so many hours in the day, so you can only get so much done in an eight hour day. So. Right. Right. So one day I'll do, you know, counterfeit infringement. Um, another day I will do web development. Another day I'll try to focus on social media managing our Facebook and our Instagram and our Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another day I'll just, I'm trying to think of what's next. I'm try, always looking at the horizon, looking into my crystal ball to see, you know, as a fan, what would I like to see and what do I think other people would like to see? And that doesn't always translate necessarily to what is established in the space, which is something that I think is interesting, especially for the fans who think that it's all about heavy metal, punk rock, horror, blood, guts, and gore. There's other marketplaces that we haven't entered into yet where I think people would be interested in what we have to offer. So, What do you got coming? Um, right now, we have a collab that uh, just launched with a brand called Superficial out of L.A. Dude, that jumpsuit. The tracksuit's pretty dope, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, they, they, came out, they came out with some fire. Superficial in, uh, in L.A. off of Melrose. We did an official collab with them that just dropped last week. And, uh, you know, that's a space that normally we wouldn't get in into because we just don't have the footprint there Mm -hmm. but because they do it makes sense for us to try to reach that marketplace through them right they're excited about it we're excited about it uh they came out with some really good stuff but again it's streetwear Mm -hmm. right so it's not something that you would maybe associate with texas chainsaw which i find is difficult for people who are hardcore fans of the brand to swallow but i think it's important that they also remember that we still have stuff for them right right I think that those people, I think it might be, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they feel like you're not taking it seriously or making it fun or hokey, but like horror has, it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. And, it, it and seeing, is. like, you, of course, I mean, a full size shirt, leather face on it is awesome. But also, some fun stuff is cool too. It's okay to. It's okay to let it let it grow. A exactly. Bit. It doesn't it doesn't <clears throat> cheapen and it doesn't dilute what is already existing or what's yet to come. Mm-hmm. It's just another it's just another another branch on the tree. Now is it is it true that you guys are getting into the NFT world? It, it yes, it is. We just actually announced yesterday. That is exciting. Yeah, it is. It's really exciting. It's the wild west. Um, and and again, I think there's a lot of education involved mm-hmm. in that. Uh, for everybody, I mean, it's it's, it's no, so everybody. new. Yeah, we're I, learning now. Like we have a great team that's helped us put this together, um, and 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 bring it to the people as more than just, you know, a lot of times you think NFT, you think cash grab, um, ethereal type collectible that exists in the cyberspace of mm-hmm. gray matter, right? Yeah, sure. Nothing's tangible. Nothing's grounded in having a physical collectible. So. I think for a lot of people, it's hard for them to wrap their heads around it. I know it was hard for me to wrap my head around it because I'm going, I'm a physical collector. If I can't, you know, display it in my in my uh, IKEA Deltoff cases, yeah, what do I want with it? Yeah, I still I don't totally understand what NFTs are, but I'm stoked that they're happening. So you know what, what I mean? What I, we, I get it, but I it's like, how do you display it? How do you show people? And I'm sure all that stuff is going to grow as time does. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's hard for me to even articulate exactly you know, what the NFT is because what we're doing is we're creating the NFT as more of an entry point to a larger community Mm -hmm. so that people who purchase in 
with the NFT, it's almost like their membership card. Right. 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 So they're, they're part of something bigger. They're not just investing in, you know, a, a speculative market where maybe they'll be able to flip it for a few bucks. Maybe they'll lose. It's, right. it's more than that. Right. Do you know yet what kind of stuff you're going to be offering for NFTs? Um, on, on obviously that that's going to be an ongoing growing thing. Yeah. Right now they're, they're, um, I would just say go to leatherfaces.io. Leatherfaces.io. That has our roadmap. That has everything that we have to offer, including the NFTs and all the perks and the experiences that are going to be associated with the ownership of that NFT. Okay. I think I think that would be able I think that would explain it better than I could. One thing I like about NFTs is you can always trace ownership back to the original person. Right. And um, when it transfers hands, there's a, there's, there's books kept on every single, every single piece that's sold. Right. Yeah. So you know what it sells for, who bought it, the lineage of everything. So there's no faking shit. There's no nothing. Right. No, there's a paper trail for sure. Yep. Yeah. So pretty exciting stuff. Um, if you're interested in checking it out, like I said, go to leatherfaces.io. Mm -hmm. uh, there's links on our social medias to, to get you there and also to the discord. Yep. Cool. Yeah. You guys actually have a decent website too. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre.com. Oh yeah. The official Texas Chainsaw Massacre.com yep. is that's our main website that has a little bit of history about the film, the filmmakers, mm -hmm. the players in the film, some uh, amazing, uh, pictures I had not seen before, like behind the scenes. Yeah. Some of the archival pictures. stuff in there is, is, is very interesting. Um, incredible stuff. The, the, my favorite one is the, um, is it Dottie who's like helping him with the mask, uh, in front of the house with the foggy, Oh, right. That's where uh, she's applying Ed's, yeah. Ed's makeup. So, so incredible. Um, <clears throat> and you can also get the merch there. All the, you guys are doing really, really great merch. Yeah, we got an online store. We got a lot of stuff that just came out. We relaunched um, earlier this month with some new t-shirts and some new offerings. And we're going to have stuff rolling out through the rest of the month and, and the rest of the year, actually. You're doing it right. As far as merch goes, and like, uh, I'm so particular on like... Uh, on t-shirts and designs and so it, horror stuff can so easily be done poorly i think yeah but you're overseeing all that stuff and you're doing a lot of it yourself yep so it's coming from an actual fan's mind and someone who loves it and cares about it yeah and I, it shows well thank you I, I appreciate that i try to i try to think like i said you know would i wear this mm -hmm. would i spend 30 bucks on this yep if i wouldn't then I go back to the drawing board and I think, okay, maybe maybe it's uh, we got to tweak something. Mm -hmm. or maybe we got to do something different. Yep. Yeah. I, th I think that's what you know. Maybe a lot of people don't realize about some of these properties is that a lot of them they just kind of get with their distributor and their manufacturer and they say make cool shit, shit them out, just whatever, just yep. do whatever, yep. right? You got imagery that's iconic for the last forty years. Slap it on a shirt. Slap it on a hat. Right. It's cool. It's not. It's not bad. It's it's fine. It's but fine. The, but don't it's like, don't just take a still shot from the film and put on a shirt and sell it to me for forty bucks. You know, one of the best pieces of advice that I that I ever got that I I carry over to many facets of my life is from my tattoo artist. I I would bring him a design, and I'd be like, "Hey, let's do this," and he'd look at it and he'd be like, "Yeah, that's. I mean, that's cool, but could it be better?" Mm. Yep. It's cool, but let's do better. What can we do that's better? Right. Right. That doesn't mean we have to push the envelope and be shocking or, I mean, we can, but that, that's not the, you know, that's not our MO. Right. The MO is like, let's do it the best that we can so that the people who are fans of this are going to dig it. And maybe the people who are just being introduced, will find something new. Don't ever shoot for this will do. No, never. 
You know, what, what's, what's the point? Uh, Why do that? No, that's a lazy, <clears throat> lazy. What in your collection, <clears throat> do you have a favorite piece, a favorite piece of memorabilia? It's like asking me or, or, or give me th- like three. It's like asking me if it's my favorite kid. I know that's tough. But listen, everyone has a favorite kid. No, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I was a favorite kid. In my favorite. There you go. <laughs> Favorite top three? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the uh, grandpa makeup molds. Yeah. The originals, right? The originals. originals. Yeah, the original, the original um, castings and molds used to create the makeup for John Dugan for the role of grandpa. I acquired those from. Who was eighteen years old playing a ninety-year-old man or whatever it was? Twenty, I think. Yeah, such a young, a young man. Yeah, playing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Movie magic. I acquired those from uh, the the estate of the late Doctor. William Earl Barnes, mm. who was a plastic surgeon. Did he do the teeth molds and everything too? Yeah, he did everything. Okay. He was friends with uh, Marilyn Burns. She yep. actually got him the got him the gig. Awesome. He had never done special effects makeup before, and he used dental acrylic and you know put this stuff together, and made the prosthetics, and and he was smart enough to keep it. He was smart enough to keep it. Yeah, incredibly. I just and that was another one too, like the script. I mean, that was that one was actually really far out because you know. You got Dan Cleary at Yahoo, Dan Cleary at AOL, Dan Cleary. At, right. I just started machine gunning emails out there. Yeah. I didn't know if they were going to land. In one hit. And one hit. And one Son came back. Bitch. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's actually, it's a pretty long story. It's a combination of Facebook and emails, but I was able to get in touch. And um, his sister <coughs> had everything in a box in the garage. And years before, too, he had them up on... There was a listing on eBay. He was trying to sell them on eBay, and nobody bit. Nobody took it. Nobody took it. Insane. He was asking 10, I think, Okay. for everything, which, okay. I mean, it's not ast- astronomical, but... And, and that's also just an asking price. It probably could have gone for less, too. It's a healthy chunk, yeah, no matter sure. how you slice it. Sure. You know, especially for what it is. Sure. What are you going to do with it? It's That's that's an investment piece. Right. Um, nobody bought, so it went in a box acid-free box and yep. sat in the garage until I got a hold of them. And man, that was a funny story. My car didn't work very well at the time. And they were, <laughs> they were coming from New Mexico on a trip through California and they were going to be in San Diego. They're like, cool, we'll bring it to San Diego. We'll meet up at the hotel and have lunch. I was like, cool, let's do it. I got to go rent a car to make it to San Diego because yeah. my car's not going to make it. So we went down there and had lunch and I got to know them and dad, that was a good one. So the grandpa, the grandpa stuff is uh very, very special. That's one of a kind, and that's that is the most directly tied to the film. Amazing of anything. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That was on display at the thing I was at, and it was definitely that brought people in. Yeah, people were transfixed by that. Yeah, and there's some other interesting stuff that came with that too. There's a uh, there was a foam appliance mm-hmm. that they used. I'm guessing as a uh, test piece to see if a foam would mimic, you know somebody's skinned face mm-hmm. uh, but because the foam is thick obviously it doesn't, doesn't have that, didn't work didn't work uh, but just to have some of that stuff that you know nobody knew even existed from the production of the film was was really and those first masks were made of like uh insulation and shit wasn't they yeah like, fiberglass all, and latex yeah yeah perfectly done and like it and, and uh you could see through it it was so, it was so well done um do you have a favorite of the three masks Ooh, i like them all for different reasons of course that's why it's a tough question Pretty Woman, I think, is the most disturbing. It's that, fucked up. That thing's fucked up. Yeah, man. that lipstick. Is, that is the... somebody else's face being worn by a giant baby Huey that doesn't know who or what he is or even how to talk. Getting dressed up for dinner, wearing women's makeup on a woman's face. That's fucking far out. And that's if you guys so don't fun, realize that's this, so demented. If you guys don't pick up on it in in the initial watching of the movie, 
Leatherface, you obviously never see his face. He wears a different face depending on the mood he's in or the role he's trying to play. Or vice versa. Right. So the, the face that he wears informs... Oh, becomes him. Be, he, becomes he becomes the face that he wears, right? So when he's in butcher mode and he's doing chores around the house, he wears the killing mask, yep. which is the one that we first see when he bashes Kirk in the head and when he's freaking out when everybody's infiltrating his home. Yep. When he's preparing dinner and being domestic, he wears the grandma with the grandma's apron. Which you barely see in the movie. Yeah, not, which not, is unfortunate because yeah. the thing is just so disturbing. I mean... It's so overlooked. It's overlooked by everybody. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much story to these masks too that because the content itself is so overwhelming, you have to watch it more than once to be able to pick up on the fact that if you look at the grandma mask... She's got a giant hole in the top of her head from where she got bashed with the sledgehammer. Oh, I don't have the mask here, but all the masks, well, the killing mask, you can also see, you know, the, the yeah. pretty woman, you can see the hammer marks. On the eye. Scars. And like, and, yeah. and on the, yeah, there's a forehead one somewhere, mm -hmm. but you can read them like a map. You, you don't pick up on it, no, but, but it it's tells, all there. It tells it a story yeah. in and of itself, which, yeah. I mean, it's just, that's masterful movie making yep. right there, right? That's, that's a, con that's Bob Burns, the deranged maniac who. And each mask in the film was cast on someone in the crew, right? Is that true? That's the story. That's the consensus. Okay. There's no definitive answer on whose face is what. Uh, people have speculated, but there's no there's no concrete evidence or proof that we have of who is who. The only one that I know for sure that was based on somebody is at the dinner scene, mm -hmm. the uh, hanging lamp that has somebody's faces on it. Those were Ron Bozeman's faces. Oh, no kidding. Ron Bozeman was the production manager who would later go on to win the Academy Award for Silence of the Lambs. Right. Those are his faces. That's amazing. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. I love that shit. Yeah. The other ones, you know, they one of them says that it was Jay Parsley, one of the original investors in the film, uh, but nobody nobody really knows. We've gotten close, but, I mean, nobody's nobody's confirmed without a doubt. And as far as I know, I think the, the, oh, the grandma mask, the old lady mask, Burned up in a fire. Was that true? No, they all they, exist somewhere. I thought one of them was got burned up. I don't. I haven't heard that. I know. I mean, you and I know where one of the masks are. Yeah. And we're gonna work on that. Yeah. Um, I know where the pretty woman's at. You do. Where, where's that one at? Pretty woman's in England. In a private collection. In a private collection. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I don't want to say any more about yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the grandma. I don't know. Maybe. I thought the grandma one is the one that was in a fire. I could, I, maybe I'm wrong. I, I thought I heard that that one burned up. It could be. I haven't heard that. I'd, I'd like to find out more about. Well, to hit the streets and figure it out. Yeah, I'd like to talk more about that. You have a package over there. I do. What's over there? What do you got? Wait, wait, wait. Let's get to the other. Oh, yeah. I got a yes, couple please. other ones. Just, I just got to throw these out there because I feel like I didn't finish the melody if I don't answer oh, the rest please. of the question. Yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a very rare oh, yeah. Danish poster. That's signed by everybody. That's a one of a kind. That's very, very special um, because of the way that it was acquired. Okay. Because it came from a friend of mine via his nephew after he had passed away. Okay. So um, I just wanted to touch on that because that. Please. Well, just it, it's, those are the things that are meaningful for me. I've known a lot of people in this hobby for a long time and th people pass away. And I don't ever want to see their items thrown in the dumpster or lost to time or, or ruined. How, how often does it happen where parents or, or family doesn't realize what they're holding and it just gets thrown away? I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't talk to those people. The yeah. people that I talk to, I save as much as I can. Yep. And I, I give it a good home. Yep. Not because I'm a vulture circling the carcass, but because 
I'm afraid of what's going to happen to some of these things. And because I know what they meant to the people who own them when they were alive. You're the caretaker. I try to be, yeah. I try to be the steward. I mean, yep. I could hitch a U-Haul to the back of my hearse, but that shit ain't going with me. It's not going with any of <laughs> right, us. So right. to rehome it and make sure that it has a life outside of ours so that other people can appreciate it is mm-hmm. a, a very important thing, I think. You said the Danish poster is a one of one. Well, it's a one of one in the sense that I've never seen another one in existence. This okay. is the only one that I've ever seen. Um, it's signed by everybody. Gunnar Hansen signed it, and he wrote something in his native uh, Icelandic. Oh, that's right, of course, yeah. Yep. And um, I've just, I mean, to get a poster or any item signed by the full cast is is a rare thing. Uh, this poster in and of itself, because it's so rare, and then because of who it's signed by. I mean, it's signed by Bob Burns, and well, I'd have to look. But and half the cast has passed away at this point yeah. for the most part, so obviously nothing new will ever be signed by the whole cast. No. no. You know, unless they have all the old people on it, and then the newer ones get it, but yeah. pretty much that's all done. No, and sometimes that's that's how it goes. Sometimes, you know, I get lucky enough, and I'll find something that has those signatures on it and I'm able to complete the piece. Great. And that's what I try to do is, is, you know, because like I said, I'm not going to take it with me. I'm going to hold on to it for now. And eventually, you know, somebody somewhere is, is going to get it. Yep. Um, that's my next question. Do you know if you were gone tomorrow, where, where would, where would your collection go? Man, my wife would kill me. She'd be so pissed. She wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. And we've talked about that because we watch a lot of American pickers and, I don't know if you guys watch that show. I've seen it, of course. So a lot of times these are estates from people that have passed on and they leave these barns and these properties and these acres to their relatives that have no idea what to do with anything. So, you know, thankfully for the American pickers, they play fair and they come in and they give them the right dollar amount. But if you don't know what to do with it, you're fucked, man. Yeah, And especially this Texas chainsaw shit. Like some of this stuff is so rare. Like I should put together something so that she knows what to do in case. I'd be smart. I mean, if I get hit by a truck on the way home, she's. She'll have a lot of money, but she'll be fucking bummed because there's a lot of shit to go through. <laughs> right. But also to make so sure that she doesn't get ripped, too. Of course. You know? like that's some, the thing. Something you might look at and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's 100 bucks." be like, Dude, that's fucking like 500 bucks." Like there was a sale, what was it, last year where a bunch of like Polaroids and stuff was uh, was sold, right? A bunch of photographs, like set photographs. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the contact sheets. Yeah. Yeah, through Heritage. And that's stuff that like if someone found that in a box in a garage, they'd be like, this is garbage. But it's pieces of film history, and people may not know that. Yeah, yeah. I have some slides like that that I got from yep. Ed Neal that are people have never seen before, besides yep. me and Ed and the person who took the photo. And if you didn't know anything, you'd just be like, trash, is right. what is this? Right. Yeah, you'd never know. Yep. So, so yeah, I did bring some stuff. Do you want to see what we yes, got over please. here? Yes, please, yes, please. This is pretty I fun. love this stuff. So um, let's, let's save that one for the end. There's, okay. some, there's some other stuff in here that I think you'll, you'll enjoy. Um, this is... Uh, zine. You guys remember zines? Of course. Whoa. Whoa. 1993. 1993 Gasp Magazine with interviews with Gunnar Hansen and Sepultura. <laughs> I mean, when you think of one, you think of the other. You right. Know? Peanut butter and jelly. Super Whoa. random. I, but mi- I miss this stuff. This is so like growing up in Boston, uh, like uh, the hardcore bands would have these little like uh, the Pit Report, it was called in Boston. Like the, you know, you yeah, get have, those little things. I have so many weird off-the-wall publications that have to do, that have just something to do with Texas Chainsaw. I even got nudie mags from the 70s yep. that have like a little column. Yep. Because it was shocking, right? Yep. It came around the same time as Deep Throat. Because well, it was a really lot of people sp- think of these old movies as pornographic, as X-rated 
films. Oh yeah, because the, the whole the video, violence. Yeah, the, but the video nasties craze in the yep. early eighties, and they just associate it with uh, you know Forty Fourth Street in New York. Wow, this is cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I got I got a weird weird vibe off of that one. So I actually I got in touch with the guy who was the creator of the magazine, and I asked him because I bought one off him that was signed by Gunner. And I said, That's Do you pretty have any sweet. More? He's he's like, yeah, I got like ten more. Amazing. I was like, cool, I'll take them. That's amazing. So enjoy. Oh, that's for me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, thank no, no, you. This is all for you. This Holy all, shit. I don't know. I'm, if I'm bringing stuff to. Oh, that's cool. Thank you, dude. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'll read this tonight. That's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Oh, you see uh, R.J. Mahaloff in there, and uh, who played the second one? Uh, Bill. Uh, that's a controversial topic. Bill Johnson or Bob Elmore? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So who do you think? Majority of the film, Bob Elmore. Interesting. Yeah, he's the guy who could lift the chainsaw that didn't didn't get hurt and <laughs> did the stunts. But some of the close up shots were Bill Johnson. In their own right, they both have a claim to it. I'm not going to say. Does one. Bob go to? Does he go to conventions and they does something? Do. They yeah. do. Yeah, they okay. both do. That's and they're great. both super super nice. Bob's in uh, Riverside somewhere, and Bill I think is in Texas. Okay. Yeah. I met Gunner as a little kid, and that was great. There's oh, a, a haunt, there's a haunted thing called um, uh, spook uh, sp- spooky world. That end up being oh, yeah, condemned yeah. in uh, Massachusetts, and I met him. I met Kane Hodder, but I remember I, I met Gunner, and I, I was probably eight or nine. I don't think I'd seen the movie yet, but I knew who he was. And to me, he was so enormous. And but I remember a as a kid how kind he was. I am so the, fucking kind. I, I didn't know him as well as some other people, but the time that I did get to spend with him was very special. I, I just on that note. Uh, he's passed away, of course. If people yeah, know, he's yeah, passed he, away. He passed away in 2002, which is another fucking weird-ass story. Fuck, I got a lot of stories. We got time. Yeah. Um, so the time that I spent with Gunner was very special. Uh, when I met him at Monster Palooza in 2014 in Burbank, mm-hmm. he was there. Um, Dan Yeager was there. Terry McMahon, Bill Vale, and um, Ed Neal. It's a hell of a lineup. It's yeah. a hell of a lineup, yeah. And to have them all here in Southern California all together was very exciting. So I put on my best leather face suit. And I went down there and I brought a couple things for everybody to sign. My chainsaw, uh, a Polaroid land camera for Ed, took pictures. And, um, you know, just in passing, and I said this to everybody, after they signed my stuff, I said I said to Gunner, you know, when you're, when you're done with the show, if you don't have anything else going on, I'm going to be at the hotel bar, stop by, I'll buy your beer. Thanks for everything. You know, carry on with your day. I told it to everybody else who was there. So after the show, go to the bar, having a drink with my wife, having a beer. And I feel somebody come up behind me and tap me on the shoulder. And I turn around and Gunnar Hansen's standing there with a $10 bill. And he goes, hey, man, are you ready to do this? And I said, your money's no good here. Put that away. This is on me. And he sat down and we talked for at least an hour. Oh my God, like, man. Like old war buddies. Yep. And I wished for the life of me, I was so in the moment. I didn't really absorb everything that we talked about. Of course you're floating. You're not, you're, no, you're, out, totally of, you're out of your plus, body. Plus his manager was there at the time, kind of trying to hang on to, you know what, like what's this guy doing with my, with my meal ticket, right? right, right get of the course, fuck out of here, of dude. I'm chatting with my homie. Beat it suit. Yeah. yeah. Fucking beat it. Kook. Um, and we were talking about something. I forget, you know, I'm a fan of the film and I ended up, I, I asked him something. I don't know what it was, but I remember his response. My wife remembered his response was like, wow, nobody's ever asked me that before. And he was really impressed by that. And that really stuck with me. And Do you remember the question? I don't. I okay. wish, I, wish yeah. I did. It's just, it was, it transcends time yep. and space. It was so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> 
But it was just one of those moments where I was like, wow, I didn't really expect this guy to like take me up. Like this is my horror movie hero. And oh. here we are. We're just, just shooting the shit like you and me are like, yep. what the fuck? Yep. And then, okay. So if that wasn't enough, after we got done with that, he had dinner plans. So he split, um, Dan Yeager comes into the lobby with his wife and he looks at me and he holds up a fucking bottle of Jameson and he's like, dude, what's up? I'm like, fuck it. Let's go. So we went out to, onto the patio. Dan Yeager's a big guy. Big boy. He's a big dude, right? Like Gunner was big, but Dan is definitely bigger. Dude. He's got some inches and he's yep. got some reach on Gunner. Yep. And uh, we went into the courtyard at the, the uh, Burbank Marriott over there. We fucking drank whiskey till like midnight. I want to say I kept up. I, I doubt it. I didn't. Fall. Hey, I <laughs> maybe didn't, did. Maybe I did. didn't. I didn't fall over, and I didn't gush. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the two big takeaways. And Beautiful. I made. A, I made a pretty good friend. You know, we kept in contact for a while after that. He came over to my house. Came over to the Halloween party, which was really cool. I didn't expect him to, you know, to to do that. The yeah. most down to earth guy I ever met. So you and I talked a little bit before we got started here uh, about a couple things. But I, I mentioned that, in my opinion, Dan was probably. Maybe the second best Leatherface. Definitely the best to to mimic what Gunner did. For sure. And uh, he was in, you know, Texas Chainsaw 3D, which is parts you like. Obviously, there's massive timeline issues with what the fuck was going on. Yeah, there's issues with that. There's one. issues, but there, there, was, there was takeaways that were good, and, and he was, without a doubt, like the shining spot of the he, film. He definitely, he definitely, you know, brought some levity to that film in a way that hadn't been done in the previous sequels in mm -hmm. part two or part three or the next generation or the remakes, the remakes where he was just like a Terminator style killing machine, which again, it's cool. I, I actually liked both the remake and the beginning. I, I, I liked, liked them. I like the remake. Different take. Yeah. You know, that's, they they that's, platinum dunes like it up. The remakes a, a whole nother show, but he wasn't the, uh, he wasn't the scared, um, protector in that movie. Right. That he wasn't, or the, the intellectually ones. disabled, Right. Adult killer. He was fully aware of what he was doing in this yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he pulled it off in a way that I had never seen. Yep. I always said, if, you know, cast that guy again. Uh, uh, completely. And I don't know why studios refuse. I, there's probably, maybe there's rights issues. I don't know. But I like, know, it maybe. seems like when a movie doesn't do well, they don't want to roll the dice with the same guy again, even though he may have not been the problem. Yeah. No, he was actually one of the shining lights of that movie. Yep. So yeah, so that was got the, drunk with two leather faces. In yeah, one I got night. drunk with two leather faces in one night. Holy shit, that's pretty great. Yeah, no, we'll check that box. Yeah, um, envious. Of that so one. that was that was pretty cool. The the, the down to earth character of both of them is what was most impressive to me. Yep. So, Gunnar Hansen died. I hate to say that; it's so crass. Gunnar Hansen passed away. He did uh, both. He did <laughs> technically. Both. Yeah, Gunnar Hansen left this realm 2015. That's the day I went in and got this tattoo, the day he died, I, as a tribute to him. So yeah. I was in, that's awesome, by yeah. the way, super awesome. Yeah. Um, I was in Texas for work, for a training, week long, and I stayed the extra weekend because I was close enough, I was in San Antonio, I was close enough to where I could hit all the film locations, and I had never been before in 2015, so this is my first time to Texas. So I, I mapped my route. I had a friend out there who uh, knew knew where all the locations were. And the, the plan was we'll meet up at the original house for the night. And then the next day we'll hit the Baghdad Cemetery, the gas station. Um, what else is there? Baghdad Cemetery, gas station, the house. Fuck, I'm missing something. Um, Maybe that was it. I mean, the gas station is the barbecue place. Um, what else is there? And no, I think that's it. I'm okay, thinking, yeah. I, I think yeah. I'm thinking of the remix. Anyways, we meet at the house and um, our plan is to go visit the other locations the next day. So I get there, I get in a little bit late. Um, 
and my friend gets in late and you know, we're hanging out. I meet the people that own it for the first time. They're super nice. They help me do a photo shoot after hours after everybody's left in the house with the, you know, full costume and everything. We rented a bungalow so that me, my buddy could stay and we don't have to sleep in the same bed. So, you know, time for bed, had some drinks and, um, like two o'clock in the morning, he comes burst into my room and I go, what's going on? What? What? He goes, dude, Gunnar Hansen just died. What the fuck? And you were in Texas. You were on the, no, at I the was set. at the house. Yeah, I the was house. at the house. Yeah. My first visit to the house in Texas, staying on the property the night that Gunnar Hansen passed away. It was, it was bittersweet. It was surreal. It was super fucking weird. Cause the next day I got up and everybody kind of already knew who I was at that point. And they were just consoling me like he was like a family member, even though he wasn't, but they knew like how special and what that meant to me. And I was, mean, some things cosmically are just meant to be aligned, you know, kismet. I don't know about all that shit, synchronicity or whatever, but it was too, it was too, too crazy. Well, I mean, at this point, I, I can't imagine you would want it any other way. I mean, that's pretty, pretty beautiful way to, to say goodbye. Yeah. I mean, if, if you gotta, if you gotta hear the bad news. I guess that's the best way as any to hear it. How, what are the, ch I mean, no, that's a, that was astronomical my chances. What of are the that fucking happening? chances, right? I got better chance of winning the lottery. Yeah. Than, what the fuck? But Oh man. Yeah. That was a mind melter for sure. Yeah. I, you know, obviously everyone is fans of some of, of people and uh, you know, celebrities die all the time and people you may have looked up at or looked, looked up to Gunner was one that really bummed me out. Didn't know him at all. Met him one time when I was a kid, but for what he meant to, who I became as far as like a, just a respect factor of just being the perfect on-screen uh, villain and seemingly a wonderful man, a great author. Um, he lived in Maine where I grew up. I used to go to Maine all the time. And so I, I just, oh. I liked everything about the guy. Yeah. It's, it's funny how uh, people can influence your life that you have never met and have such an impact one way or the other, just based on what they've done with their life. Wow. That is a crazy story. Yeah. It was, it was, it was crazy when it happened and to tell it again, Really kind of takes me back. I haven't thought about that for a long time. That was fucking far out. I mean, <laughs> it's just a story that just can't, no one else can tell that kind of story. Yeah. No, that was, that was a good one. Wild. Yeah. That, so on the Ed Gein note, mm -hmm. and I'll show you pictures of the, of me cradling her crucifix. Yes, please. Um, a friend of mine w started years and years ago, the Ed Gein fan club. Oh my God. <laughs> so wow. if you'd like to be a member, here's all. Oh shit! Here's all your accoutrements. Oh hell, dude! Yes, you're now. We got, we got a button. We got a pin. We got an Ed Gein pin, which I'll show later. Oh, dude, <laughs> man, I love it. On theme, right? I love it. You got a little patch here. I look, by the way, that's a great vest. You got patches all over the place. That's oh, some good thanks. shit. Oh, my God, this is amazing. This is a don't. Why? Why? There's <laughs> no point. This is great. When did this fan club start? You know what? I don't know the actual year. Um, I oh got I got in touch with him because I wanted one of the patches. Yeah, there's I have a, uh, there's a friend of mine in Scotland who the, he collects Ed Gein memorabilia the same way that I collect Texas Chainsaw memorabilia. Yep. And um, he had one of those patches, and I asked him, I go, oh, let me get. How do I get one? And he's like, dude, there's only I, I don't know. There's a red one and there's a pink one, and I'm not giving them up. I said, well, where'd you get it from? And he, so he told me the guy's name, and I tracked him down again. Put on my detective hat. And I tracked him down and the dude's like, yeah, I got all this stuff. He tried to, he actually tried to get me to get the whole remainder of what he has for the fan club. So he has like, I don't know, a hundred more patches, 500 more cards. He's got like the whole kit. 
to like, he's, he's getting out of the game or what? Or yeah, just he's doesn't... just kind of over it. He's got all the pins. He's like, here, I'll sell you. Basically, I'll sell you the fan club. And I was like, well, I don't have that kind of money right now. And that's a lot of work too. Well, it I mean, be? The, I don't think it's something that's really active. I think it's, it's, it's just more for like people. We have twelve members worldwide. Well, you know, it's uh, like for people in the know, yeah, right? Like right. if you know about what's going on, you know about serial killer, true crime memorabilia, shit like that. Give them the nod. You like, give them the nod, right? You get a secret handshake. You got the secret button. Hell yeah! You go into the secret room, have a secret drink. A lot of secrets. Yeah, a lot <laughs> yeah. of well, a lot yeah. of it is super underground, and a lot of, of course. It, I'm not even going to name his name because he was actually. I'm thinking about. I'm actually thinking about buying it because the other two things that he has that I want to add to my collection because they're on theme are the final grave rubbing of Ed Gein's tombstone. Oh, done in red and yellow, so it's got like a fire. And they took his tombstone down. They, they moved it, or they, or they got rid of it so people so would stop getting, going. So that's, oh, part, yeah, that's, please. that's part two. Yeah. So this is the the final grave rubbing, and then a piece of the actual tombstone, which was in his possession for a period of time because he was the one who actually stole it from <laughs> from the Plainfield graveyard. Good job, dude. It's pretty good. It has since been returned. It now resides in the evidence room of the Plainfield Sheriff's Department. It was returned, it or was re- the the police went and got it. I think maybe there was a happy medium there okay. somewhere. I don't. I don't know. An understanding yet. was in place. Yeah, there was a handshake um, and a walk away. Wow! But uh, he still has a piece of it. Of course, that's great. That has energy. Does it? You well, can feel it. I feel like it. I mean, I felt the crucifix. Yep. I feel anything that has that kind of weight in the world has some kind of residual energy to it. And the fact that it was in Wisconsin is just. Have you been in Wisconsin? I've never been. Okay, it makes complete sense. And I'm not, I like Wisconsin a lot, but like I, I can see how just like empty f- cornfields and like, I, you know, it just, it makes complete sense. I just, I thought it would be cool. One, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan. You know, Ed Gein is endlessly fascinating to me because of how demented he was and, and what happened. On a psychological uh, aspect, he's, he's riveting. Oh yeah. Just on another planet. Yep. Not even on earth. Yep. Um, so to add that to the Texas chainsaw museum, I feel is very appropriate. Beautiful. So. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, you're, you're welcome. That's you're welcome. cool as shit. Um, I got one more thing here for you, which okay. is pretty exciting. Okay. This is no fucking way, dude. This is an original spindle. spindle. This is a spindle from the staircase banister from the original house before it was moved. I have been looking for this for years for one of these. I can have this? You can have that. You're shitting me. That's for you. Dude. I brought it for you. Unbelievable. I seriously, like, of all, of all the, the things that people collect, this is something I've wanted because the door, I love the door. I'm so stoked to have the door. But a piece of the house, because the, the house, like we're saying, is such a character in the film. Yeah. Look at that fucking thing. I, I don't know what to say. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're That's welcome. amazing. I know you'll appreciate it, and it deserves to to be with somebody who will who will enjoy it. You no know one's gonna love this. My wife. She's gonna be so stoked about. It. Oh, you got a piece of a broken piece of oh, a stair cool. of, a, of stairs. Cool. This is, a, this is what I beat you with when you don't take the trash out. Wow. Cool. So, how do how do these come into your possession? Time for another story. Yes, please. Yeah. So a friend- I really can't, dude. I. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. That is so fucking cool. Absolutely. There's not many of them out there. Uh, there's very few. I, uh, again, amateur detective, got in touch with a fellow Texas Chainsaw collector who helped me to build my, his primary uh, collector thing was uh, three by five index cards. His focus. His, his focus, yep. yeah. His jam was three by five index cards of celebrities. A lot of people do that, right? 
take a pen with you and th- yep. stack a three by five cards when you go to a show or yep. whatever, get people to sign your shit. So he helped me to build out my three by five card collection of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I have a whole, I've, it's framed. It's got everybody on a three by five card. He was my go-to for that. Well, years ago, he told me, he said, I got a bunch of stuff from the house. He made a, he made a trip to the house before they moved it when it was still in Round Rock, Texas. Mm-hmm. And at that point it had been vandalized and, you know, kicked in windows broken. Nobody thought anything of it. The movie was forgotten. Fans of it would make the pilgrimage out there and maybe collect get drunk or have yeah, a party go and, hang out and yeah. party or do whatever and collect some artifacts while you're there. Right. So he did and he collected a lot of them and he collected spindles and he collected brown spindles and he collected pink spindles. And I saw some of your pink spindles. Is that yeah. from the kitchen? No, those are from the upstairs railing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, those, those were funny story about those, those pink spindles and the upstairs railing were painted pink because the family living there had kids and the kids were scared to go upstairs because the house was, it was an old dark farmhouse. Uh-huh. So they thought if they painted a pink, it would make it less scary. Beautiful. So, yep. so yeah, pink spindles, white spindles, um, years, years. I asked this guy, sell me a spindle. Yeah. Let me get one of those. Yeah. Come on, dude. Like, oh, don't bogart ready. the spindles, man. Don't, I'm not ready. They're buried. I don't know how to get to them. I'm busy. I can't. So annually, you know, I just send up the bat signal and be like, Hey, let me get a spindle. And as collectors, if you, if you guys don't collect or are listening, you really have to, everyone's different. Some people work better with hounding them. Some people, if you ask them one too many times, they'll never speak to you again. It's right. a real, you have to have a sense of the person you're talking to. No, absolutely. Yep. You have to have, uh, it's a game. I mean, it's a people skills yep. and you know, or if you try to buy too much too fast, yep. I've had people try to be like, everything's for sale. Okay. A couple, I'll give you a couple high dollar items off the top, but you keep begging me. I'm I, like, I'll shut down. Right. Right. Cause you're just, you're going too hard. Or if you're too eager, they're like, wait a minute, am I selling too cheap? Right. They're like right. what, no. what am I missing in hey, this collection? If you show all your cards and the price goes up 20, 50%. Yep. Right. Yep. So you got to play it cool. Not because you want to get away with anything, but because you know, you want to make it work. Yeah. yeah of and course. you want everybody to be comfortable with it. That's always right. been my thing. Win, win is the best case hey, scenario. Whatever you're comfortable with, right? Yep. If you're, if you can't, if you can't part with it in good conscience, I don't want it. Right. If you can, let's talk about it. You have my number. If you change your mind, you know where I'm at. Totally. I'm not going to harangue you about it. So I want to say maybe like 10 years. Uh You you worked them for 10 years. Yeah. for I want to say 10 years, probably close to 10 years. And then finally, uh, late last year, he was like, hey, I think think I'm ready. So I started scooping them up. Wow. How many do you think? You don't have to say, but did you get a good amount of them? I have a lot. Okay. Yeah. Good. I have in various stages of good condition, bad condition. I have a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is your plan like, are you planning to keep them for now or are you so give them to podcast hosts that are friends of yours? <laughs> I, I have. So because he has so many um, and I know how valuable and rare they are, I have, I have flipped a couple mm-hmm. so that I can continue that relationship and, and keep, part of it. keep buying them. Yep. Um, and he's aware of that. Mm-hmm. I'm not flipping them for crazy profit. Yeah. But I am making my money back so I can continue to buy more and build that up so I can show them off. But also so that other people can have a chance because right now I'm the point of contact. Right. This dude's not talking to anybody right. else. And right. He, and he won't. Right. So if these are going to get out to the world and anybody else is going to enjoy them, I, I'd like to, you know, help kind of move that along. If anyone here is listening who uh, may have something of interest that Chase might like, 
please hit him up at um, what is it again? The official TCM the, Museum and the the official TCM Museum on Instagram. Or if there's something that you might be looking for as far as an autograph or a poster, I feel like you might be a yeah, guy that can yeah. facilitate all yeah. things. All things Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw, you'd be the guy to help with. And yeah, I, I you do seem like you're willing to help people out with Absolutely. things. Absolutely. I'm on Facebook too, just under my name, Chase Anderson. You can find me and, you know, my track record's impeccable. All my items are 110% authentic, yep. bulletproof. I don't fuck around with fakes or anything like that. There is a, there's differing opinions on where the chainsaw is. Your thoughts? Chainsaw's gone. I don't, That's what I think. I don't think, I mean, you have your opinion, but. There, there's, there's, you probably know the guy who claims that he has it, but it's not. Yeah, it's I've not also, I've also found the post where he says at the same time that it was found in a barn nearby where the movie was shot. Yeah. So that's their closest point of providence. That just doesn't hold water. Yeah, it wouldn't sit, it wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be there. They got rid of it because they, they got it on loan from somebody and they, they gave bought it, it from a neighbor, I think, right? Yeah, they bought it from a neighbor and they gave it back after. There's no, there's no chance that that's not the, yep, yep. If it helps you sleep at night and that's your claim to fame and it gets people in the door, I guess. Right. But you know, at the same time, people think that the that the van that's at the gas station is the original van, and it's not the original van. No, so that was probably also th- that belonged to someone in the production. I thought too. Yeah, right? the van belonged to Ted Nicolau, the uh, sound recordist. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when the movie's over, and by, by the way, this movie became a cultural sensation long after it was came out. Basically. Oh yeah. Like it found life. You know, it was in the theaters, and it got you know news clippings for being banned in certain countries or whatever the fuck it was, but. It wasn't a smash hit when it came out. No. VHS is what basically made it like a holy shit movie. That's what made it the cult classic. That and that was that 10, 10, 12, 13 years later is when it really probably got, you know, got some steam to it. Yeah. And at that point, that no, shit's I've gone. actually, I've talked to Ted about it. He said, <laughs> unfortunately, he regrets that he sold that van because, you know, if he would have kept it to this day, that thing would be worth of course. a lot of money. Of Same with the pickup truck that was used for the getaway. Yeah. Yeah. And who 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 on that? Um, you know what? That's a good question. I do know the answer. I don't have it on the top of my head. Was it the guy driving? No. Okay. No, he was a stunt driver, Perry Lorenz. Okay. He's a nice guy too. He mm-hmm. he works and lives in Austin. Uh, the original truck owner, I don't know. Yep. I want to say Ted, but I don't think that's right. Okay. But yeah, I mean, there's no, there was no way for them to have any kind of foresight of what any of this stuff would become. Very few things have survived. I, you know, there's people, there's a guy out there who has the uh, hitchhiker's bag with the Polaroids and the foil. He also has um, Franklin's flashlight and the the hammer uh-huh. that Grandpa used to hit Sally. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's cool. Um, somebody knows where the Black Maria big rig is, but they're not telling. I can't believe that's still around. It's still around. It's somewhere in, a, in Texas? It's in a barn somewhere. I don't know. Okay. Where I tried to find out. Um the owner wants ridiculous amounts of money and it's probably will just never happen. What's weird is like, if you buy, is it a Peterbilt or is it a Mack truck or is it a Volvo? What is it? I think, I think the one in the movie is a Peterbilt. Okay. First of all, if, if it didn't have a connection to a film, it's expensive. Like those trucks are expensive. Oh yeah. Where the fuck are you going to put it? <laughs> where are you going to put it? And yeah. that's just like a, um, a museum install somewhere you know, where it's a full on walking museum. I can get it. I can understand that, but yeah, but no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's cool piece. Cool. No, as hell. for sure. For sure. But I mean, you know, in my, in my travels and my, my collecting adventures, I've met all kinds of people. There's a guy that I know who's a mortician and he collects fire trucks. Mm, no shit. Fire trucks, full size, real full fire size trucks, tri- man, vintage, new fire trucks. That guy is fulfilling a childhood not, desire, not to, baseball cards, 
fucking fire trucks. Do you know how many he has? I don't, but I mean, if, you if got, he has more than one, that's hey, insane. Dude, if, if you got it like that, get a, get after it. What would be your number one piece that you're looking for? I mean, I imagine the chainsaw is 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 the piece. Um, a mask. Yeah. Mask. Yep. Yeah, a mask. After that, um, did you get in on any of the of Gunner's clothes from the movie when Heritage sold that stuff? No, the only thing that survived was his apron. That was it. Yeah, the boots though. I thought the boots. No, the boots turned out to be a hoax. No shit. Yeah, they didn't. He said he tossed those. Oh no shit. Yeah, he said when they were done filming, those things got junked. Because he didn't. They shot for what five, five or six weeks. Six. Four, uh, yeah, okay. Something like that. And uh, Gunner did not change his clothes in the Texas heat for the entire shoot. Right. So people would talk about you know the smell inside the house, gagging from his bo from the rotten food. Um, he had to go eat lunch by himself because nobody could sit next to him. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a big dude. First of all, uh, dressed in like a, a full suit at, at, at many times, like a you know suit, tie, jacket, pants, leather boots, and a mask, sweating yeah. nonstop for six weeks in the middle of summer Texas yeah. heat. Yeah, he's gonna stink. Brutal. But Brutal. I would take it happily. No, for sure. And some other things survived. One of the arm lamps. If you go to Heritage, they have a they have a small section of of some of the props that that survived that are mm-hmm. in the hands of private collectors. I don't have that kind of money. Yeah. I don't know anybody that does. Yep. I know. Grandma too. Grandma's grandma's around mm-hmm. at one of the bone lamps in the hands of a private collector. Mm-hmm. So what about the dummy, the Ed Neal dummy that got hit by the truck? That survived or that's yeah. probably just gross guts went in the trash. Yep. Yep. I do have one more thing here for you. Yeah, please. I hope what? you're interested. Ooh. If you're not, that's okay too. But uh, on behalf of Exerbia Films and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, man. Hell yeah, dude. I don't know if you know, but we have a Texas Chainsaw Massacre maze at Universal Studios this year. Dude, amazing. Two tickets to Halloween Horror Nights. Yep. Oh, my God. Dude, come by every week, please. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. Happy Halloween. Do you have any part of that? Do you have any kind of insight to the uh, yeah, to yeah. the, to I, the I maze? A, yeah, I was actually uh, very hands-on in helping awesome. them uh, kind of fine-tune some things. It was in place to uh, be part of the event for 2020, mm-hmm. but as we all know, 2020 didn't happen for anybody. Down the drain. So they wrapped everything in cellophane and uh, rolled it over to this year. Mm-hmm. And when they rolled it over to this year, which is the year I was on onboarded with the company, um, they reached out to me for my opinions. Amazing. Everything that goes, everything that goes through licensing goes through me for approval. And so I'm that, so happy. It's you. I, I really am. I, I am too. I, I feel like it really helps let people know that there is somebody paying attention. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in these situations, nobody's paying attention. It's details. As long as it yeah. doesn't look like shit, they get, they get it signed off and it goes through. And then, right. then what happens? It looks like shit. Have you been fortunate enough to, uh, to get in costume at Halloween Horror Nights and be one of the scare guys? No, no, I, it, man, it could be fun. I've done, I've already done that. Yeah. No, outside, I'd rather be part of the audience. Every year, then that comes around. I'm like, do I want to be a scare actor? I think that could be kind of fun because I do love scaring people. I love jump scaring people all the time. But yeah, it is uh, fun. It's I feel like it'd be fun. exhausting to do like a six hour shift of like oh, more, oh. Like, more like a ten hour shift. Is it really? Is that what it is? Well, you got pre show and you got an eight hour window. For your shift. And they go through full makeup and for a lot of that stuff. I mean, stuff. even if it's a mask, you still got to get there and suit up and get ready. So you're going from six till two in the morning. Then you got to, you know, wind down. That puts you at three o'clock. Right. If you got the time, yeah. totally. I, yeah. I thought about it. You know, I have the flexibility now where I can be a monster someplace because I, I work from home. But next year, I don't know. Dude, it sounds exhausting. You and I do hey. one month in the Universal Leatherface house. You know, house. the other thing I thought about that was too, what? I don't get to go do the stuff. That's true. 
That's true. Then I miss out on the event. Or just just moonlight one night as Leatherface could be Which pretty amazing. Which would be amazing. cool. Now that that yeah. I would do that yeah, I guest would, spot. Yeah, no, totally. I would yeah. do that. It's incredible this year. So I did help them put some of the stuff together, mm-hmm. uh, make it super tight. Mm-hmm. Really, really honored. I went uh, 2019. I went. Did you? Was it still the same people yeah. overseeing it then? Because yeah. I was. That was the best I'd seen it. The Blood so Brothers far. one. Yes. Yeah, that was a good one. Yep. It felt real. It felt good. I was really honored that they were receptive to my feedback. It's Universal Studios. You guys know what you're doing. You don't need my help. Yeah. But you're listening to what I have to say. And they have the resources to make it right. It was just very special that they that they listened to me. They couldn't have chosen someone better. I mean, honestly, it's a, like I said, as a fan, um, I'm stoked that you're the guy overseeing the direction of, of what, you know, fans see as far as Thank you. merchandise and, and, um, handling handling the uh, the history of it with such respect because uh, it, it really does matter. That means a you're, lot. It, you're it's you're basically pre- preserving, you know what what the film means to people. That so means it, a lot to yeah. to hear that. I don't hear that all the time because I'm immersed in it. So of course, not of that course. I take it for granted. I'm just this is this is my life. Yep. Right. Texas Chainsaw is kind of my life. Yep. So to be able to hear that, you know, people are are stoked on what I'm doing and trying to do really means a lot because. That's that's my goal is I want people to be as stoked as I am. Yep. Especially with the maze. So when you go through the maze, check it out. It's pretty wild. I'm actually trying to make it back on Friday. I don't know if I will, but does it go when does it shut down? When does it stop? Uh Halloween's the last day. It is Halloween night. Halloween night. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll, I'll get down there hundred percent. Maybe maybe we'll coordinate and go together. It's fucking out of control. Awesome. Out of control. And not because of anything that I I did very, very little. What they what they brought to the table was the meat and potatoes of it. Of course. I, I told them, you know. Don't make it white, make it red. Beautiful. Well, dude, thank you so much for, for coming in. Uh, I'm yeah. really stoked that we met a couple of years ago. Yeah, me too. And uh, I consider you a friend now. Totally. And um, please come back again, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll deep dig into other kind of stuff I'd or whatever. I'd, but I'd, You know, it's not just Texas Chainsaw. I'm into all different kinds of That's what of I mean. We can do all kinds of shit. Weird-ass shit. Yeah. You know, we can get as fucked up as you want. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it very much, and I, I, I mean, I really don't know what to say about it. You're this welcome. guy, I mean, that, that's I literally the spindle has been something I've been thinking about since I think I saw it either on one of your pages or something. But I knew I wanted a piece of the house. The chainsaw door was, you know, no chance. Do you know where that is? The, the, the chainsaw door, the door he cut open. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, no. that'd be a cool I one. I know where the screen door is at, but oh, that's cool. I think the prop door got trashed, probably if I had to guess because very few things were actually cut by the saw, so it's 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 neat. Yeah. But I always want a piece of the house because, like we said, it's a character in the film, so thank yeah. you very much. You're welcome. For that. I'm glad it's going to somebody who's going to appreciate it the way it deserves. It's, a, it's amazing. Uh, Leather Chase, thank you very much. Leather for Chase, Leather Yo. Chase, uh, Chase Anderson, thank you very much. Um, you can follow him at the official TCM Museum on uh on instagram and happy halloween dude happy halloween and everybody else we'll be back next week this is lola and i'm here to tell the world to stop being such pussies and listen to rare form radio